Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This is our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson. On the road, our host, Tom Dupree. And we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So that's uh, Peter Frampton's version of the Soundgarden, Chris Cornell um, song called Black Hole Sun. And, you know, I, I have to think that Peter Frampton doing that song and recording it is a nod to what a genius Chris Cornell was. No doubt. I actually got to see uh, Chris Cornell in Cincinnati. Uh, it was about two years. No, it was probably about five years before he passed. And uh, just amazing musician, amazing vocalist, um, multi-instrumentalist. Um, and, you know, that was kind of in my, you know, early 90s, um, the grunge era. You had Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. Allison Chains, all them, uh, but Chris Cornell was something else, and he's he's done everything from you know kind of jazz uh, vocals. He's done some pop stuff. He did a techno <laughs> kind of album. I, I, huge fan of his, and um, uh, his, this guy's version is just uh, uh, Frampton's versions is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great tribute. Yeah, it is, and of course I understand. Peter Frampton now has got some kind of debilitating condition where he's not able to even play that much is what I'd heard. I, I don't know what the thing is. How old is he, Tom? Peter Frampton? Yeah. Got to be pushing 75, I would think. Uh, I don't think he's pushing 80 yet, but... Uh, he's so 73. He's 73. 73 years old, yeah. He's, uh, and he's a very, he's an excellent guitarist also. And I think he's really been kind of getting behind his son in the last several years. Uh, isn't his son a guitarist also? Or, I, I don't he, know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I know he lived in Cincinnati for a while. Peter Frampton did. Uh, I don't know if he still lives there or not, but, uh, uh, he'd be an interesting guy to interview, you know. Absolutely. Well, I guess it so, was it was uh, probably close to ten years ago when we saw him at the the Lexington Opera House. It was just an acoustic set, and that was really good. Yeah, I, I went to that. Yeah, I, didn't you and I go to that? I, I said we. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I, I can't remember anything. Golly, I'm you know. That's that's an inclusive so, we. Yeah, I know. Okay, good. <laughs> Glad you remembered me. Um, so market wise, you know, we've been seeing things go on here, uh, that are sort of continuing to, uh, defy the experts in terms of, uh, market strength in certain areas. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to speak for the, the tech sector, although certain names continue to go higher. Uh, but, um, in the area of financials, uh, your more value stocks, these would be uh, companies and stocks that still trade at a fairly low multiple uh, price earnings, multiple price to cash flow, in some cases price to book, uh, that would, uh, you know, 
certainly say that they look cheap. Of course, the financial sector, certain things in the financial sector are always going to look cheap uh, due to the perceived volatility in their earnings. And, uh, you know, they tend to commoditize themselves and be driven by interest rates and, and uh, market conditions. But, you know, we've seen uh, some things that really had some compelling uh, valuations begin to move up. Uh, how long they will do that, I'm not sure. But one thing, you know, I've been doing this several years, and one thing that I noticed is that when a turn kind of takes everybody by surprise, and then they continue to sort of talk it down for a while, that's almost the best kind of condition for a new bull market that you can get. You, you, I love the ones that take people by surprise when you get a turn, and it seems like that's what we're getting in here. Well, that's, that's that wall of worry that you were talking about last week. Uh, the market right. climbing the wall of worry. Um, and, you know, we, we were talking about it on the show uh, early in the year, you know, because everything you're seeing, it was, you know, Armageddon, doomsday, recession, uh, all these different things. Um, and, you know, the talk of a recession, and we're saying it could happen, but it's going to be the most publicized recession in the his and predicted recession in the history of markets. Um, and if, if you and I have learned anything in the time we've been in the business, highly predicted events rarely occur. Sometimes the way that they're predicted to occur or even at all. Right. And, and what, what you saw happen this year, just like in the past where, when, things like this have happened you you see the the market it gets it, it gets off sides uh so you you're having everybody move to one side of the boat expecting it to tilt the other way and then you get the the knee-jerk reaction everybody starts moving to the other side and you've seen that with uh especially with you know the mega uh mega cap tech this year um but this is what's so encouraging. You're starting to see that broaden out. And when I say broaden out, you're starting to see financials. You're starting to see small cap, mid cap sectors start to participate. Because even a month ago, the the vast majority of the S&P 500 gains had been from about 8 to 10 stocks. Um, right. And now you're starting to see... Because it, it could have gone one of two ways. Okay, did those are those overbought and overvalued? Do they come back down to reasonable levels, or do other things start to catch up? And that's what right. you're starting to see. You're starting to see valuations on value, uh, financials, uh, dividend-paying stocks. You're starting to see valuations improve, meaning stock prices go up in those sectors and. That's what's encouraging. Right. Yeah, I, you know, the, here's another thing that is keeping people out of the market and on the sidelines, I think. Super high short-term interest rates. 
so now you have a lot of uh, people out there uh, hawking five uh, percent CDs and, and five and point two percent. I'm not even sure where bill, treasury bills are. I think they're in the five plus range. So all of a sudden, people are seeing these super high, at least compared to a year and a half ago, rates on uh, super short-term stuff, and they're thinking, "Why? You know, why would I get in the market here? Uh, I mean, I can get five uh, percent on my short-term money." So people are pouring money into these these kinds of things, which is also a very good sign for the market because, um, you know, 18 months ago, uh, two years ago, your short-term money market funds were basically at zero. So uh, what was that thing? There is no other alternative. Yeah. T-I-N-A or whatever. Tina. Yeah. Because there wasn't. Yep. I mean, you couldn't buy, even if you went out 10 years on a bond, you're getting one and a half percent, you know, and, and some of the dividends were paying three plus. A lot of that stuff's pulled back. Short-term rates have gone a lot higher. Now people are getting sucked into this short-term interest rate thing. Let's buy these T-bills. Let's buy these CDs that are paying 5%. Let's get into the money market funds that are almost at five, close to five. Some of them are at five. And, you know, it's just 5% short-term money pulling people into these things, which also sets up a rally in the longer end uh, and in, uh, you know, longer duration bonds. And, of course, stocks by their nature are longer duration. It's when you get that attention turned to this because as we know and we've seen over the years, your short-term money can can begin to drop very quickly. And then here the other day, the Fed's saying, well, we, we, uh, we didn't raise rates yesterday, but we're definitely going to do it down the road. Well, maybe, because by then we will have uh, another one or two inflation prints in the book to see what's going on with inflation, if it continues to moderate, it's not a guarantee that the Fed will crank rates again. And, you know, then people will say, well, what's the next thing? Well, after a while, they're going to start lowering them. And your short-term money will go from 5% to 4% to 3%. And then people say, oh, I got to extend duration. By then, a lot of things will have already moved up, in my opinion. Yeah. I actually had that exact conversation with somebody this morning. Um, you know, the CD rates, short-term rates, that's fine for if you have, um, you know, emergency funds or, you know, cash that you need to have, at, you know, stable. That's kind of your checking, savings, emergency funds. That's one thing. Um, but otherwise, you're, you're making a you're, – you're Timing the market uh, is essentially what you're doing, um, and you're trading long-term gains for short-term rates, um, and you know, th- that's emotionally that makes people feel good, um, but they're they're trading off 
any uh, long-term growth, you know, especially above the rate of inflation, even the potential for that, um, that's what the trade-off is. Um, and so it's, it's good for short-term savings, but that is not for investments. Um, and to your point, uh, more than likely, if you saw rates come down so this you know say you get a, a two-year cd or you know or even a one-year cd at five and then you have the reinvestment of that if rates are lower uh there's a good possibility that the market is higher and so net net you've lost out on growth um plus uh buying you know growth and growth of dividends it's a you can almost set your clock by it yeah during times like this, it's like pulling teeth to get people, you know, to come off the sidelines. I, I mean, I've talked to people recently. They're still sitting in cash. They've still got their money yet. Oh, wow. You know, my cash is now, instead of getting, you know, one and a half percent, I'm now getting four or five. You know, I'm, I'm really happy. And I'm going to wait and see on when to get back into the market. Now, here's what will happen. You get, and I'm not making a prediction here, but I am saying this is a good, this is at least a possibility. You get the market moving 20% higher from where it is and rates coming down. People start calling us and saying, hey, you know, I got to get, I got to get invested in this thing. You know, it's going to run off and leave me. And now you get that FOMO kicking in. That's right. And, you know, um, fear of missing out it's if if we could just accomplish a small task uh by doing our radio show and even if it even if it just got through to a few people it's to dispel this notion that waiting for the market to get where you're happy to buy it is not a good idea. I have made some of the better investments I've made in my career. I made them during a period of great upheaval. You know, I questioned, was this the right thing to do? Cause there's so much noise out there telling me, you know, this isn't a good time to invest. Wait for things to blow over. I'll never forget one time I was talking to some guys that, that ran a mutual fund and uh, we were just talking about things and certain stocks that they were looking at. And I, I mentioned a company, it was trading around five or $6 a share. And I mean, it was just, you know, I had a book value of like 20 or something. And I said, have you guys looked at that stock and, they said, yeah, we really have. And I said, well, are you doing anything? They said, no, it needs to get to about 10 or $11 a share before we would uh, be interested in, in buying because we, we just don't buy things that are trading around five or six bucks. And, and I'm thinking, so you're telling me that this thing needs to double in value from where it is for you to get interested? And the guy kind of laughed and he said, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way we, we look at things. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, but I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people look at stuff like that. 
that they wait for things to get higher. All of a sudden now this thing of the sharks are gone. It's safe to get in the, to go swimming right now. And then people move as a herd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that's been, uh, whenever I've seen that in the past, uh, it's, it's like when you get out of step or out of time, like if you're, if you're a musician and you get out of time, it's hard to get back in time. Um, and I've seen that a number of times where people will try to time short term time, the market. Um, and it, it, inevitably they're always behind the curve, um, because they're, they're reacting to something rather than looking forward and sticking with a long-term plan. And that, that's, that's the part that, you know, it, it's, it's hard to see and you, you can talk and reason with people, but sometimes they just don't, they just can't do it. Um, but you know, well, that thing is, it's a little like a game. Like, let's just say you're a golfer. Um, how do you, you know, get a good golf score by getting a lot of bad ones. Um, you go out and you play the game. And if you don't love or care about the game, you're not going to play it very often. And you're never going to really get good at it. Uh, because you, you're not a, you're not devoted to the game. There are people out there who kind of do their own investing and they don't really play. They're looking for a headline that tells them it's time to buy, and then they can step in and basically not have any risk to their investment decision. And they they will not have to be playing on a day-in, day-out basis to do well. But I hate to tell you, it doesn't work like that. One of the things that it helps, you know, to have somebody that does this all the time is that you can let, if you have a good advisor like ourselves, I hope we're good. We tell, we, we tell people we are, you know. Shameless plug. Uh, yeah. If you have somebody that's doing it day in, day out, they're going to have days they make an investment Market goes down. Okay, maybe I should have waited. Going to be other days you buy stuff that goes up. But over time, the good companies tend to go higher. But if you're sitting around waiting for the buy signal just because you're worried about this or that, <laughs> there's a good chance you're never going to hear it. All right, let me fire up the music here. We're going to go to a break. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson. You wouldn't go on a road trip without navigation. Do you have a plan to navigate you to and through retirement? We can help. Call us, 859-233-0400, or go to our website. You can schedule an appointment directly on our homepage, dupreefinancial.com. We'll be back with more of the Tom Dupree Show, our financial hour, In just a few minutes, stay tuned.
My name is Tom Dupree. Without a plan, you're doomed to failure. Many people have no idea how they plan to tap their retirement investments for income during retirement. At Dupree Financial Group, we specialize in retirement investing. That means turning your growth portfolio or your IRA into an income portfolio. You may need to draw on it for a lot of years. Come in and let us review your plan and give you some ideas. Call us at 859-233-0400 and set up a complimentary appointment to review your investments. Listen to the Tom Dupree Show at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group at DupreeFinancial.com. to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this hour, Mike Johnson. On the road, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Well, that song was obviously written by a guy who's never been married before. I was just thinking uh, this might be your theme song. Not quite. I mean, you know. Says he who's on a road trip. Well, okay. Who who took two road trips in a row? You want to go there? You know, know. I'm free too. That's this is my theme song as well. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean the the thing of it is, am I really free to do what I want? You know what I have figured out? I make what I want to do the stuff I have to do. That makes me free. That is freedom. That's good. 
Yeah, I, I make the stuff I have to do be the stuff I want to do. All right, so one of the things we have to do on this show, we get to do, we have to do it, but we like doing it, is to talk about investments. And, you know, when you, do, when you use the word investment, it's like using the word vegetable or even broader, like using the word plant. <laughs> You've got a whole bunch of stuff. Investment can refer to a lot of things. But in our world, uh, there are two fairly broad uh, categories. Uh, You've got growth investing and value investing. And each one of those two broad headings encompass a whole lot of stuff. The thing that typically gets the most press and the most uh, uh, talking about is growth investing and why? Because everybody likes to get something for nothing. Everybody likes to jump into something and pay $30 a share and look up in a month or two and it's at 40 or $50 a share. That's growth investing. That is more kind of the easy money type of investing when it's working. Um, and it, and it gets all the press because, you know, what else do people like to do? They like to play the lottery. People, you know, will never admit this, but the fact is most people want something for nothing. That's just how it is. Growth in, I mean, uh, value investing on the other hand requires patience, requires research, requires Time, study, diligence, uh, waiting for the right time to do something, which you never know if it's absolutely the right time, but basically doing calculations on risk versus reward. Most, most growth investors, they're not thinking about risk versus reward. They're throwing their money in there and thinking, well, it's going to be 20% higher next year. And, that, and they're not doing much in the way of calculations. But your value investors have to do the legwork. They have to dig in, and they have to understand the fundamentals of what they're investing in. And then they, on top of that, they have to be patient. Yeah. It, it, to elaborate a little bit on what you said, you're talking about risk and reward. And a growth investor is typically focused on the reward. Value exactly. value investors, there's in the research and the study, and when you're talking about the timing, it's not necessarily, it, we're not talking about market timing, it's your no. entry point. It, it's if, if you understand real estate, that's, your, that's where you make your profit with real estate is where you buy. Same thing with value investing. And so, what you're doing, th- that is to try to reduce the risk part of it. You, so you're balancing that risk and the reward. Because uh, the last uh, 12 years, um, you know, if you're looking at growth, the, the, the financial situation has changed uh, f- from what it was too, you know, we were in a highly accommodative monetary policy. Um, 
which which is good for quote unquote growth stocks. Uh, it was just cheap money. Uh, multiples were expanding, and so you could you could just you know roll the dice, put it in something, and if it was growth, maybe it went up. Um, it's a different environment now, um, and. First Eagle, uh, which is a, a mutual fund company, uh, very good. Jean-Marie Evillard uh, was the, the manager of First Eagle Value Global Fund um, and just a long uh, track record value investor. Um, he's since retired or partially retired. Matthew McClendon uh, is the portfolio manager now. But they're, they're a value shop, um, and uh, they're – their strict value strict value um and they 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 put out commentary and they really get in the weeds on some stuff i don't want to do that uh because it's it's a little bit mind-numbing <laughs> it just you know it, yeah even for me it's kind of boring um <laughs> but the the big takeaway we've been in in an environment for so long where it's been all about growth. It's all been about the reward. It's not been about the risk. And when you, they, the title of their paper, and I think this, this actually sums it up pretty well, and this is very similar to what, what you said in the past too, Tom, quality never goes out of style is the, the title of their paper. No. And what they're talking about is the quality of companies. Um, they're not talking about quality of sector or quality of index. They're talking about a specific company. Uh, in the paper, they're talking globally because uh, this was written for the global fund. Um, but in, in, in the environment we're in now, if uh, uh, you know, interest rates stay where they are, it's less accommodative, um, companies, uh, they don't have access to the free money that they did. Um, uh, valuations aren't going to be based just on uh, growth prospects. It's going to be more about cash flow. You know, what, what is the company actually earning? And it's going to be on the risk mitigation from the management of the company. How do they manage their balance sheet? Um, how consistent is their business? Is their cash flow? Um, and you add on top of that a, a dividend policy. Um, right. And so market environments change um, and you should be careful if you are you know with an advisor that kind of ebbs and flows between you know one approach versus the other approach and uh, it, just be careful of that um, you, you need to have uh, a clear understanding of what you're invested in. Um, and, and we do tend on the value side. Uh, we will own, and, and First Eagle actually makes this point too. Uh, they say, you know, we may own some companies that could be quote unquote qualified as growth stocks, um, but it's because of the quality of the company, the quality of management and valuation and where where the quality of management could take the valuation moving forward um and so it, it's when it comes down to it um when you're talking growth value you need to be able to understand why you own what you own um 
there there are good times to own growth. There are good times to own value. Um, but you need to be comfortable. You as the investor need to be comfortable and be able to understand why you're invested in what you're invested in. You know, the probably the most interesting investor of our time, of course, would be Warren Buffett. And he's certainly the most successful. But if you look at the way uh, Buffett began to invest, let's just call it early 90s. Uh, prior to that, you could have said that Berkshire Hathaway was, was kind of a pure value uh, shop, if you will, um, based along the model of Benjamin Graham, who wrote the book Security Analysis. And basically what he was trying to do was find companies that were selling below the price of their liquidating value. In other words, let's say the stock's trading at $50 a share, but you could make the case that the company has a uh, $100 worth of assets on its books. And if it were liquidated today or tomorrow, uh, each shareholder would get 100 bucks back and you can buy the stock at 50. That's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. And that was really the, the way uh, Berkshire functioned for, for many, many, many years. When Warren Buffett, which is really genius on his part, began to, uh, I'm not going to say he drifted in style. I think he intentionally began to modify his investing style to include great businesses with great management. Mm -hmm. And the first of those high-profile uh investments would of course have been his investment in Coca-Cola, which he still owns. You could have never made the case that Coca-Cola was a cheap stock at the time, but in hindsight, it was incredibly cheap, you know, compared to what it did over the uh, time that he's owned it. But, he had to get away from looking purely at price earnings ratio, price to cash flow, and he had to look at the future of the company, where it was going to go with the business that they had. He also looked at, is there anybody ever going to come in and really compete with Coca-Cola and take away their business? Well, the answer is yes, that's occurred to some degree, but it's still Coca-Cola. 30 plus years later, it's still that company. He figured out that this was a great business with a great management team, and he wasn't going to worry so much about how cheap it was based on other metrics because he realized that it was going to keep growing for a lot of years, and he was exactly right. And he did a lot better on that stock than he would have done on a pure value play. Right. And, you know, most most recently or, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years would be Apple stock. Um, Did they start buying it 20 years ago? No, it, it wasn't 20 years. It was probably it was probably around 11. Yeah, I'd say yeah. 10 or 11. 
Um, but I mean, even in, you know, the last 20 years, that's, that has been probably the best investment that he's made, uh, in that, in that period of time. And, and that's what do they own, like $150 billion worth of Apple. I mean, it's, it's something like that. It's, it's huge. Yeah. And, um, of course, Apple now is approaching $3 trillion in market value. So, you know, Buffett, even with his big position, <laughs> is, is still like, uh, what, a 5 or 4% position, uh, something not very big right. in a sense, but it's awful big looking to us. But the, the thing is, the criteria for making a good investment it, it can be multifaceted, but you have to do some basic analysis. Certainly, you're going to look at the balance sheet. You're going to look at how much cash they have on hand. You're going to look at uh, the debt structure. You're going to look at where the stock is trading in the marketplace. But you also need to look at the quality of the business. How hard is this business to compete with? Um, and if it isn't that hard to compete with, uh, like, a, like let's call it an oil company. There's lots of oil companies. But Warren Buffett's made a big play in oil. Well, why is he doing that? He has to feel like, number one, Occidental, which is the company he's put a lot of money into, has superior management for an oil company, but see frequently oil companies do not get any, uh, premium in the market because of management being good because the market perceives it as a purely commodity thing. And it goes up and down based on what's going on with the commodity. He knew that when he took that into consideration. So he's also making a commodity bet. And he has to be believing that based on supply and demand constraints on oil, sooner or later, the price of oil is going to be higher rather than lower. And that goes into his investment in, uh, in Occidental. And I don't, I don't know if he's bought any other oil companies. I know he's bought a whole lot of that one. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and to your point, you know, he's viewing, um, uh, management as a value because he's not paying a premium for good management like you would with you know uh, some some tech company that has decent management. You're paying a huge premium for decent management versus no premium for great management. Right, and that's you know we have a oil company we own a bunch of uh, uh, that we like. EOG is a symbol. Um, you know we're not saying you should buy it or shouldn't buy it. But one of the things that we have uh, uh, pulled out of our research is that they have really superior management in the energy industry. Uh, They run things a lot differently than the average oil company. Even with that, the stock still goes up and down based on the the commodity. And and we know that the uh, oil market is highly politicized throughout the globe because you have OPEC and various players that uh, uh, affect the price of oil uh, from on a day-to-day basis. Regardless, people and, – and then the other thing now you have going against oil and energy is ESG, which has tried to make people believe 
that somehow we're never going to we're going to get to where we don't use any fossil fuels, which is a complete hoax. And it's beginning to finally be uh, exposed as being just just untrue. But mm-hmm. despite, so that's affected the price of uh, oil. So once again, it has set up, you know, that wall of worry thing that energy prices have to climb because they've got everything in the world saying you shouldn't be here, you don't exist, and, and yeah, we still are here, and we're 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 probably gonna be. I just read a uh, it was a the reports a. a few years old, but it was Boston College uh, did a, a survey. Uh, this was actually in conjunction with First Eagle. Um, and uh, they're asking, uh, but the survey was, what's the greatest risk? Uh, and they had it broken out to market risk, longevity, health risk, policy risk. Um, and the vast majority uh, surveyed uh, said market risk is the greatest risk posed for retirees or people near retirement. Um, and uh, it was by, by a large margin, that was the, the biggest response. Uh, but in all actuality, and the, the study, you know, shows this, and we've seen this, you know, in action, uh, market risk isn't the greatest risk. It's longevity risk. Uh, and that's outliving your money uh, is the biggest risk. Uh Market risk, you know, market returns, the return on your money, that obviously plays a role in outliving your money. Um, but people, what what the study showed was that people fixate too much on the day to day movements of the market. Um, you know, our our job as a fiduciary, as an advisor to our clients. Um, is risk mitigation, uh, and that's you know taking into account the risk reward of the investments, but it's also looking at their personal risks. You know how much are they spending? Uh, how is their money allocated? What are they invested in? Do they have enough in emergencies? Say all of those things. The financial planning—that's part of that risk mitigation as well. That's a wrap for this hour of the Tom Dupree Show. We got to go, Tom. We're out of time. We know you don't want to outlive your money in retirement. We can help you come up with a plan. Go to our website homepage. Schedule an appointment directly on our calendar, dupreefinancial.com, or call us, 859-233-0400. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.